Pittsburgh Steelers fans, it is time once again for Here We Go, the Steelers Show. I'm Brian Anthony Davis. I'm the podcast producer here at BehindTheSteelersReview.com. Your one-stop, non-stop for all of the Pittsburgh Steelers needs. Oh my gosh, there's so many of them going around right now. You've got so many black and gold needs, so you got to check it out on the editorial side. Check it at on the podcast side. Three original podcasts every single day of the 365 day year so man when it's uh may and you think nothing is going on guess what we are here it's your Steeler crew it's your btsc family talking Steelers. last week was really busy then i think Steeler nation got a little nervous because wasn't busy this week but to talk about all things Steelers is a guy that knows a lot about putting together a football program. It's the coach. It's the championship winning coach. It is Kevin Thatcher Smith. You could call him KT as long as you don't call him late for dinner. Kevin, what's up, buddy? <laughs> what's up, Brian? Um, thank you for using my middle name, Thatcher. My my relatives will be proud. They're always... Uh, they always it. are jealous. They're always jealous that I got. I was. I was the. I'm the oldest son of uh, my mom and her three sisters. So there's four daughters who are sort of competing to have a son, and I'm the oldest. So I got Thatcher as the middle name first, and so everybody's a little jealous in the family. You know, I got a little ownership of that. Yeah, and and you know, definitely, you, you've got to have something to hold over their heads because you got to understand, Kevin. I was the man. I was in the middle. I had two separate situations on my mom's side. I was the only boy and I was the youngest. So man, I got everything. I mean, oh, you were, you were a baby. I was a unicorn, sure. man. I, I, <laughs> I, I was the, I was the guy. I mean, I, I was on that Island and I loved it. Um, <laughs> then turns around on my dad's side of the family. I was out of, I believe 13 or were we 11 trying to do the math in my head real quick eight nine okay we were 11 and i was right in the middle at number six so you know with that i i was right in the middle smack dab in the middle lots of boys lots of girls it was it was pretty even and here i am with all these cousins that are so tall but don't have any hair and some of them not the best looking cats in the yard so with that being said they would always tease me for being short because i was lucky to i'd lie about being five nine on my license but uh, five eight and a and maybe three quarters or you know it's stretching it but i would just say hey that's fine i'm the good looking one and that's all that counts smile for the camera boys <laughs> and that's that is a mic drop that's a mic drop comment so <laughs> You got that. You got that. And that was always, I, I remember that happening during like group pictures. So, Oh, yeah. nice. A little family trash talk. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, Love it. Gosh, Love I'm it. the king of trash talk with family. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe they might not all love me, but eh, they know I'm there. <laughs> Kevin, something that we know that is definitely there is the Pittsburgh Steelers are putting together a nice little run to build their team i don't want to say rebuild because we're not going to call it a rebuild i like it as a reload but something that you coined is that this is a team in transition and a team in transition 
could be a dangerous thing. But when you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Tell us your thoughts on that and why. Right. You know, I, I start every show by telling you how excited I am about this or that. And I actually have a little bit of a different sense about me this week. The news was slower, so we all got to kind of relax. But um, but more so, I just I feel like almost like a sense of calm about where the Steelers are, because I think that they have a pretty good handle on what they're on, what they want to do. And that's a good feeling because there's nothing worse than uh, than not having direction, a directionless team, a team without an identity, a team without a strong leader or rudder uh, is a is a team that gets lost. And, uh, and it would be easy for the Steelers to be lost right now with, with Roethlisberger retiring and them turning over a lot of the roster in the last couple of years. But I just don't think that's the case. I think that they have a plan for where they want to go. And I think that if you look at Steeler history, uh, you'll see that, you know, again, there's only been, there's been three, there've been three head coaches since 1969. So you've had this great stability in the franchise. And I think that that's really helped them steer their way through transitions because it brings with it a sense of identity. Uh, so that stuff all makes me feel good. And, I, and that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, on the podcast here. I'd love to jump in there and talk about that same stability that you just mentioned. It's also, if you look at the starters for the Pittsburgh Steelers in the Super Bowl, excuse me, not the Super Bowl, in the modern era since the merger. So that's 1970. That's 52 years. Could you tell me, and I, we, I didn't prep you for this, so I'm putting you on the spot. How many quarterbacks do you think the Steelers had start a regular season game in those 52 years? Um, how many quarterbacks do they have start a regular season game in those 52 years? Probably about a 10 to 10 to 12, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 12. It's actually 25. It's 25. They had 25 starters in 52 years, Ooh. which is at a rate of 0.48. So they had 0.48 starters per season since 1970 okay when you look at the cleveland browns and the famous jersey the tim couch jersey that has all the other names rolling down and now they're putting mayfield on that one and they're you know that's that's a fun meme everybody loves it it's become a joke in that time they are in last place with 51 they're actually tied with 51 with the chicago bears but because of those three years off due to them bolting for Baltimore, this is a team that has a worse average. So they have started 1.04 quarterbacks per year for since 1970. And instead of 52 years, that's 49 years because of those three days off. So that means the Chicago Bears are in 31st place instead of last place. Where do you think the Steelers rank? They've got to be. They've got to be top, top five for sure. They're tied for number one with the New England Patriots, Kevin. Okay, twenty five. Okay, and the the Patriots because of Tom Brady and Steve Grogan. Steve Grogan started for a lot of years, so that's and for the Steelers, you had Bradshaw and you had Roethlisberger take up a, eat up a lot of that time. Now, when you look at it the only teams that had lower, even though they're ranked number one, the Houston Texans have had 18, but they've only been in existence since 2002. 
So they've been ex- in existence for 20 seasons. The Jacksonville Jaguars and the Carolina Panthers came in at the same time in 1995, and they have 23. So they have two less in 25 less years. <laughs> I mean, 25 less years. So the Steelers had 25 more years, and they only are two behind them. And then you have the Baltimore Ravens, who are at 23 as well. And that is in 26 seasons since they came in in 1996 because Cleveland keeps their records. Baltimore did start over, but Cleveland kept their records. So that's why you have those uh, three year, that three year absence for the Browns. But the Steelers have had the most consistency along with New England at the quarterback position. And it definitely shows. And that tells you about a consistent team and why these transitions aren't as tough for what they've built around them, Kevin. Right. And, and so obviously when you have the quarterback, uh, you've got, you know, the most important piece. Uh, that's just kind of how it is in modern football. But when you look at the Steelers periods where they didn't have the quarterback, and that's really like two periods over, over that same 50-odd-year period that you just mentioned. That, that's really only two times. After Terry Bradshaw retires, um, we, get, you know, we get this period in the, the mid to late 80s up until early 90s when, when Neil O'Donnell arrives, where they're not, not really that settled at the quarterback position. You, know, you get a couple of years of Cliff Stout, and then you get six years of uh, Bobby Brister and Mark Malone. And you know the Steelers, go. They, I think they went 51 and 60, in that era, they only made one playoff. And Malone, I mean, just to give you that, you know, Steelers fans think uh, like Trubisky. I, you know, I've read like people be like, oh, his stats are terrible. I'm just going to read you some stats real quick, right? Mark Malone, uh, for his career, had 60, 60 touchdown passes and 81 interceptions. His completion percentage was 50.9%. That's by today's standards, just atrocious. I mean, even by the standards of the mid 80s, that was not very good. And then Bobby Brister's stats were a little better, but they were by no means tremendous. 81 touchdowns, 80 interceptions, 54.6 completion percentage. These guys were kind of scuffling quarterbacks. Uh, you know, Brister was a gamer and he was exciting to watch, but he, he in the end, he just wasn't a great quarterback. Uh, but the, the big problem for the Steelers in that transition time, again, they, they went 51 and 60 over that period, is, is they didn't have a defense. You know, they, they lost the old defense. And uh, the defense that had got had gotten those four Super Bowl titles, and they hadn't been able to replace it. And then, in combination with the lack of a quarterback, that's that's the roughest period over the last fifty odd years. And if you go real quick into the late nineties, it's a big difference. From ninety six to two thousand three, they they're, they're still kind of in transition at the quarterback spot. You get uh, you get three guys as the starters in that period. It's Mike Tom, Zach Cordell, Stewart, and Tommy Maddox. And, you know, they're, they're better than the, the Malone-Brister duo, but they're not certainly, you know, franchise uh, quarterbacks. Yet the Steelers managed to go 71-52 and 52 and make the playoffs four times and go to three AFC championship games. And that's because they had that defense. For the most part, that defense, man, that Blitzburg defense was still there and still intact. So to summarize really kind of what I'm trying to get at here, when I think about where the Steelers are now, I think that uh, the defense that they have intact and the moves that I expect them really to make all before all is said and done is going to give them a defense that will compete 
while the offense kind of gets back up to speed. And to me, that's, you know, combined with all the other stability is a reason for optimism. You know, it's funny because we all talk about the 1980s as the dark days of being a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And we understand that because that's right when that transition was happening. And but when you look at it, here's a team that had four trips to the playoffs. I know not nearly enough, but in that decade, they went four times. They went in 82, 83. 84 and 89 they almost went in 87 and it was a strike year and they came very close to making the playoffs there they came very close to making the playoffs in 81 and 82 excuse me 80 and 81 they they were very close but when you look at these teams of the 80s like you said yeah they didn't have the defense but they still with having an afc championship contender in 1984 when they lost to Mark Malone and David Woodley helped take them there but it was you know losing to the Miami Dolphins and then you had that magical run of 89 where they had no business that nine and seven team had no business being in the playoffs but Bubby and Merrill Hodge and they did some amazing things and they they really could have went to the AFC championship game then they could have actually sneaked into the into the Super Bowl where they would have been absolutely destroyed by the San Francisco 49ers who beat the Broncos 55 to 10 in that time. But why am I bringing this up? That was their dark transition time. And that's a transition time. That, that's a resume that a lot of teams in their dark times would have said, hey, that's an average year. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah to be able to, to uh, be as successful as they were, uh, in, you know, make those four playoff trips, um, despite losing all that Super Bowl talent. I mean, that's culture. They, they, by that point, they had established the culture of the Pittsburgh Steelers that we know. I'm, I, you know I wasn't alive for it, but, but many of the older fans will remember, you know, the pre-70s when the Steelers were kind of the laughing stock of the league. And you get to the 70s and it changes – the the fortunes of the franchise but it also changes the narrative about the franchise so that when you get to the 80s there they now have a winning culture and a culture where where success is the expectation and that's what was really able to allow them to remain competitive uh in some of those situations that you just mentioned despite the fact that they lack talent because they really lack talent on that roster uh, you look at uh, you know i, I was a i was a, in in high school and college at that time and I was at the kind of height of probably height of my like emotional fandom. You know, as you get older, your fandom matures a little bit. But uh, at, that was probably the height of my emotional fandom. And and I love nothing more than linebackers. Um, and, you know, because they were the, they were the guys bringing the bringing the hammer. And and I think about, you know, Brian Hinkle and David Little and 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 I back in the, in the day, I thought those guys were amazing linebackers. But when you really look back at the film from that time, they were just gap stuffing you know, old school downhill plug the A and B gap uh, linebackers without a lot of natural ability. They had a lot of guys like that, you know. So they, they could have been they, Robert Spillane is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So so you I'm just saying when you build a culture and winning is the expectation, you can you can get guys like that if as long as they've bought in uh, and have some success because uh, they, they, they understand what the level of expectation is. 
So everything that you've just said, it is so warranted and I love, it's very poignant. I love that you said it. And it just lends to the fact that a team in transition for a lot of franchises is a bad thing. But based on what you just said, the Steelers have that culture that they can take a transition period, lose a future Hall of Fame quarterback, and this time around be so much more equipped because of that culture to be able to move on. Yeah, and the other thing that they have is, is identity. And that so culture is one thing because that kind of sets the level of expectation. But then identity gives you uh, a sense of, of who you're going to be on the field not in terms necessarily of your attitude, but in terms of your scheme, your X's and O's. Um, that, that, that Steelers team of the 90s that went through transition uh, when you lost O'Donnell, who, you know, we all, we all trash talk Neil O'Donnell because of the Super Bowl, but he was a pretty darn good starting quarterback for the Steelers. Uh, and then you go into the sort of the Tom Zach uh, Stewart period. They, they could still hang their hat on that defense. And, and you understood that if they could, if they could do enough on offense – uh, they would be successful because the defense was going to keep them in every game. And when I think about the transition that the Steelers face right now, one of the things that made last year so difficult was they didn't have an identity. They, ha- they had a mismatched offense with a coordinator who wanted to do A and a quarterback who wanted to do B. And they had a defense that because of injuries lost really its, its sort of signature uh, toughness, the ability to be able to stop the run, and really got, they got soft. And what I like about what I see right now is all this focus on, on building Canada's offense means that they understand that their identity and their direction on the offensive side of the football. Um, and, and that's exciting to me because it means like, hey, you know, we, we know what we want to do. And I think when the Steelers know what they want to do, they're pretty darn good. It is. And we are going to talk more about that after this break from Here We Go, the Steelers show on the BTSC family of podcasts. Welcome back to Here We Go, the Steelers show. It is the off season, but there's nothing off about BTSC with shows every single day, with articles every single day. You could find Kevin Smith with some of the best articles that you are going to read. I call them a term paper and a clinic when you read them. You know, it's a thesis and it's brilliant stuff. And I'm not just saying that because he's a part of my team. If I wasn't a part of the team with Kevin Smith, I'd be reading his stuff and trying to get to know this guy through Twitter because he really knows how to break things down. And in the last 15 minutes, Kevin has broken down for us what it takes to build this team and how the Steelers, because of culture, have been able to ease into that transition. So Kevin, in the last week, it's been quiet this week, but they made six moves last week from bringing outside guys in and another three or four with making some, making some moves as far as keeping their own players, like a Chooks, a core four, like a Kella Witherspoon and miles Killebrew. I, I almost messed that up. 
I want to call him Mason Killebrew, Miles Killebrew <laughs> as well. So with those guys, keeping those guys around and having to say some goodbye to some of those players too, you do you get the sense that the moves that they made have so much more pros than cons? Oh, absolutely. And you can throw Montrevis Adams into that. Uh, yes, absolutely. Well. Uh, who, who's, who's his resigning. I really like, because I think he showed some really good things. I think he was a good scheme fit and showed, and, and showed some good things last year. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think what they're doing is, is they're uh, making sure that they shore up positions with some guys who, who can fill a role and provide some depth. Like you think about Killebrew and you don't want Killebrew necessarily to be your starter. But I think he's capable of, of uh, a bigger role than he played last year because he's a physical tackler and he's a good blitzer. And I think that you might see a little bit more of that from him. You know, I think they found out what, what he could do last year. And now they said to themselves, you know, hey, let's let's uh, re-sign him and, and let him do the things he does best. And obviously not to mention he's a really good special teams player. So I think that they've, that's what they've done. I think what they saw in Montrevis Adams is they said, hey, here's a guy that can play the run. And, and you know, we kind of got our butt kicked up front last year. Uh, and hopefully we'll have Alu Alu and, and uh, to it back, but uh, we're going to need depth pieces. And, and if we got a guy that goes down, then he's a guy that I think that they feel that they can now get on the field in certain situations because they know what he can do. Uh, that's the other thing about transition teams that, that are effective in transition are teams that can quickly identify their, what they need and then are able to find guys to fill those needs and teams that struggle uh, they struggle to do both of, the, of those things. They don't know. They don't know who they want to be, and they're, therefore they're not able to identify what they need, and therefore they're not able to bring in the right people to fill those needs. You know, that's one of the things that's amazing about the Steelers having three head coaches since 1969, is that the stability of having those head coaches allows the team to be able to go out and get the players that are right fits for that culture and that system. And that that keeps you from becoming the Browns who are reinventing themselves every other year. Uh, and, and that re those reinventions are expensive, man, in terms of both, uh, you know, cap money, draft picks, uh, scheme changes, creation of culture, et cetera, all that stuff. So. So, yeah, those those signings you mentioned are a little bit under the radar, but they're all but they're very important to what the Steelers want to do. Well, if you listen to any show that I'm on. You probably could say it before I say it, because I say this all the time. The Steelers get pieces of the puzzle and they know how to make them fit. And I say it ad nauseum and I, I understand that, but it's because that's what the culture that the Steelers have built here and they can bring back a Montrevious Adams, but know why they're bringing him back. And I think that is even more important. That signing is more important when you bring a guy like Miles Jack in. Because we know what Miles Jack brings. He's a sideline to sideline guy. He's a fast guy. And they have that same type of player right next to him in Devin Bush Jr. Sideline to sideline, fast player. When it comes to stopping the run, though, those two guys are not known for that as much. So when you sign a guy like Montrevis Adams to put him in the middle there, you're helping that situation out and you know your team so you know what you have to add to be able to add a guy like miles jack and keep him with devin bush so you get strengths by having them but you have somebody else overcome their weaknesses would you agree with that yeah i think you know a lot of people have said that they have concerns about the pairing of 
Jack and, and Bush. And, and, that, and that's understandable. I understand why people say that. But at the do same you? time, what's that? Do you? Do I have concerns about it? Yes. Well, no. I mean, what I was going to say is that I feel like they're going to do some different things with their fronts. And they're going to be a little bit of a different defense than what we've seen. Uh, I think I really think that that Brian Flores will have an imprint on this defense. I'm not I'm not saying he's going to be the scheme coordinator uh, or call the plays on game day, but I do think that you'll that, that we will see a defense that emphasizes speed. The Steelers they they needed to get faster. Let's face it, they they're not a particularly fast defense when you look at like modern NFL defenses. And I think that Flores is a guy who built a defense in Miami with uh, not a lot of big household names, but with a lot of speed and a really aggressive scheme. And so I think that, well, when we think traditionally, okay, three, four defense, the, you know, the Mac and the buck, everybody's talking about the Mac and the buck, the Mac and the buck. But uh, I don't necessarily think that that really is, is how the Steelers are going to approach this. I think they're going to approach it as a defense that can put a lot of different personnel groupings on the field and a lot of different combinations of players and use their scheme and their speed and their aggressiveness to try to create problems for defense, for offenses. And, you know, Kevin, with that being said, you are not going to have any lack of Robert Spillane. You're going to see a lot of Robert Spillane, even with Jack, even with Bush. And I'm not talking if they're injured, all healthy. If they're all healthy, you're still going to see a healthy dose of all three because that's the kind of thing that Brian Flores brings to the table. So, they're able to do that. And getting back to the topic of conversation, when you see the limitations, even though there's, there's so much you're going to get, the risk so far outweighs the reward with a guy like Miles Jack pairing him with Bush. But you know how to build, if you know how to build around them, then you have no hesitation bringing that guy in. Right. I'll tell you what, you know what I want to see? I want to see the Steelers in um, their nickel, in in a in a two four nickel package, uh, with Spillane and Bush inside, and with Jack and T.J. Watt. You know, Jack Jack spelling Highsmith a little bit because while Highsmith's a real nice pass rusher, Miles Jack can get after the, the quarterback too, and then he brings you the additional benefit of lateral speed that Highsmith lacks. And so you got your banger inside in Spillane and then a guy in Jack who, pardon the pun, but you can kind of use as a jack of all trades and do a whole lot of different things with um, because of his of his speed. And so now you're faster, uh, you're sound inside and you're diverse. So I think I think the Steelers are considering uh, things like that. I think they're going to use Miles Jack with Robert Spillane, like you said, uh, and not, you know, in place of all the time. So you just said a two five. Are you daring to say that they're going to come close to the famed vaunted 52 stack monster from coach Nickerson's <laughs> 1983 Ampipe Bulldogs from all the right moves? Uh, a two, four, five. So, yeah. So, I mean, the two, five would be really interesting, right? Five backers. Okay. But, uh, but if they run the stat, this, the, uh, the five, two stack monster, uh, you and I will be thrilled because we are both huge fans of all the right moves. And you know, I was there for the filming, right? Yes. Going to my story. hometown of Johnstown, Pennsylvania. It was, it was absolutely awesome to be there at that game. So what I'm going to say here is, I, I don't even know, how does, I, I got to get off topic here. How does the 52 stack monster work? Are you putting five on That's, the line? 
it's actually in the movie it's a six two stack monster oh uh it's a it's a three it's a yeah you, you're covering all the gaps you got guys uh in the a b and c gaps uh so it's a six literally six guys across the line and two linebackers but you got to remember <laughs> when teams were lit, that was an actual defense that teams ran back in the day but they were running it against the power eye you know like the old school like two tight end with three backs in the backfield uh block down kick out offense where uh there really wasn't any any downfield passing game so uh so football has evolved. We're talking about we're talking about two, four, five packages or two, three, six packages. And back then they're talking about putting six defensive linemen on the field. So we're obviously talking about a different era of football. You know, I'm featuring that movie in my The More You Know segment this week, my article. And I, I do have a little clip in there just because it mentions the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I do that every week. So one of my all-time favorite movies, and not just because it's from Johnstown, it's a great football film. Oh, it's a great football film. It's a it's a it's a football film that's actually I can I can say this as a guy who's coached uh, high school kids for a long time. It's actually a film that doesn't do a disservice to the football part of it. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't make the football part of it so like you know it doesn't Hollywood it up. I mean it does a little bit obviously, but uh, you know the drama of the scenes in the ridiculously pouring rain and the you know making Vinny Salvucci poor guy making oh, him Salvucci. you know the. Uh, uh, <laughs> making him the goat, et cetera, in the way that they did it. But, but in terms of like the, some of the things that they did football wise in that movie, uh, it's, it's actually really well done in terms of trying to keep it pure to the game. Yeah, man. If rifleman just as let to, you know, Neil at that time, I mean, <laughs> it would be a different situation. Yeah. Uh, gosh, I could talk, I could do an entire show about, I think we might do that. I think when we get to like, june and we have nothing to talk about we might do an entire all the right move show i i I think that's got to be a must we could do uh all the right moves versus the original longest yard in terms of their football merit oh yeah because you know a good conversation and in the longest yard that was a pittsburgh steelers quarterback paul crew was a steelers quarterback oh was he i don't remember that well in in the adam sandler version but i (laughs) i think Uh, i I think it was, it might've been alluded to that uh, Burt Reynolds character was a Steelers quarterback, but, or maybe they never said, but I know he was definitely the Steelers quarterback when Adam Sandler played Paul crew back in 2005, but I digress. What we're talking about here is uh, we're talking about a whole lot of fun stuff, but we're going to wrap everything up by talking about the players that the Steelers lost. And when you look at it, there's one player that they haven't even lost yet. He's just saying that he's gone and that's Joe Hayden. But when you look at it, the losses are not devastating to this team. They're players that you would love to have kept around like a Juju Smith Schuster. I mean, there's merit in keeping around a Ray Ray McLeod, but with all of that and James Washington as well, but do any of those break your back? in the off season by losing these guys and not having them for 2022, Kevin. No, not at all. There's not a single guy that Steelers have lost where, where you say to yourself, we can't replace that guy. Um, I think people would like to have Juju back, but I also think that the way that the offense is going to be run next year, that you're going to see Pat Fryermuth take a lot more reps in the slot and, and eat up a lot of the routes that Juju used to run. I mean, let's face it. There's, there's not Juju averages like eight yards a catch the la- last year, and uh, I mean, there, there's not a lot that 
Pat Fryermuth can't do right now that Juju hasn't done over the last couple of years. I mean, he had that streak for a while where he had more long uh, catches than, than anybody in the league, but they, you know, that part of his game when, when Antonio Brown left, that part of his game went away a little bit and he's become a possession receiver. So I think that, you know, you'll see, you'll see us bring in a slot receiver somewhere either in the draft or maybe in the second wave of free agency. And I'm not saying there'll be the player Juju is, but between using Fryermuth there, or using Anthony Miller, who I think is a guy the Steelers really like, and and using our boy Gunner, whose last name I, I can't pronounce, and I'll let you you uh, yeah. It's <laughs> officially Oshevsky. Oshevsky. I was doing my show bad language when it came across the board, and I tried to fill it in as breaking news, and I was like Olsaluski. Uh, uh. I have no <laughs> clue what this guy's name is. Just like yeah. uh, the coach at Duke, uh, Krushawuski, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so as, as Penguin fans, we all know the, uh, the greats that the Steelers had like um, Mario Lemiox and Jeremy Jagger, you know, um, <laughs> y- you know, so Yinzers, we, we don't pronounce names all too well. So I'm going to love to hear the Steeler fans try to pronounce this name, but it is Olszewski. Yeah. I, I, I just really want him to be great so he can just become Gunner. And, and, yeah, and you know, because, you know, we can do, we can just go Ouija, Ouija. And everybody knows exactly who yep. we're talking about because, and, and Ouija wasn't great, but he was good enough to become Ouija. Yeah. He was memorable, you know. I he was Gunner's tall for back then. I mean, you didn't see many six, eight guys back then. Yeah. Yeah. He sure was. And, and he was, he was built like a beanpole, which made it comical. But, it- and Olszewski looks like he's just coming off of the, the cast of Joe Dirt or something like that. And, <laughs> yeah. and you love it. I mean, I, I know guys like that. And they're, right. they're salt of the earth. They're the best people around. Uh, you know, we had a, we used to joke that, uh, that uh, Duck Hodges had a, a little sunburn on his neck. Gunner is a whole different shade of red here, and I love him. Yeah, and I think the Steelers might wind up actually giving him a chance to earn some reps in that in the slot position because he's he's pretty quick with the ball in his hands and he runs good routes and he hasn't doesn't have a lot of experience there. But uh, you know maybe he just needs the opportunity. So anyway, long story short, you know I think that with Juju and uh, you know that they've got a plan to replace him. I don't think it's like this situation where they're like, where they're like ah we can't replace this guy and we don't have any money and we don't have any options. Uh, it's not like that at all. So. Again, I think they've gone really wisely through their free agency in terms of identifying what they need uh, and who they want and who they're willing to, to let walk. So let me ask you this question about Juju before we wrap this whole thing up. If it's six days later, if he would have waited six days to sign and Tyreek Hill ask for a trade and ends up in Miami, which he did, do you think Juju still goes to Kansas City? Because I don't. Well, his role gets bigger, but his job gets tougher. So, what's you know, what's what's does he value? It, it, but then again, they they signed uh, the kid from Green Bay today. Um, MVS. Yeah, he's and he's a pretty darn good uh, receiver who'll take some pressure off of Juju too. And Hard, Hardman will be good there as as well. I know Pringle's gone, but the you know the thing about that is I just. Uh, I think Juju's a piece of the puzzle and I don't think he's ready to be the man there. And I, I just, I just think that's who he is now. So I really, uh, I could have seen him. I'm wondering if like deep down, he's saying, man, 
Maybe I should have just waited it out and stuck around in Pittsburgh. Probably the opportunity to catch passes from Mahomes was, you know, the allure of that and the thought that of what that might be able to do for his career was was pretty attractive. The idea of, you know, maybe, hey, maybe maybe I'll put up big numbers with this guy. Maybe I'll get opportunities with this guy that I just didn't, you know, he, that, that he, he didn't see himself getting in Pittsburgh. Well, I tell you, you what, you can, you can certainly understand why he would want to go there. I'm, I'm never signing in Kansas City because I can't be in the same room as Jackson Mahomes. That guy, that guy's a mess. And the new Mrs. Mahomes isn't much better. <laughs> They're annoying. <laughs> she looks a little high maintenance, doesn't she? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, did, <laughs> did you see the champagne shower she gave everybody on that freezing night in the Buffalo game? I was like, come on, lady, stop it. Yeah. So, uh, I, 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 I honestly think uh, the king of all approaches to relationships was Derek Jeter because he uh and other than the fact that that he was dating some of the hottest women on the planet that he just let himself have his career <laughs> and he and he uh you know decided that you know he was gonna just kind of be a, a a real bachelor until the playing days were over I just I just don't know how how players manage it there's just a lot an incredible amount of pressure on them as a professional athlete and to try to manage a family as a young person through all of that, we forget these guys are young, man. I mean, yeah, you know, I was an idiot when I was 22, oh 23 years old, 24 years old. You know, I did some things and I'm like, oh my gosh, what was wrong with you, Brian? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then can you imagine trying to manage millions of dollars, the pressure of being a professional athlete, a wife who, you know, it kind of embarrasses you on social media, maybe trying to have a kid and be a dad? I just, I don't know how they do it. Yeah, I don't know either. I do know one thing is that we would have hung out, even though I'm the, I wasn't an athlete. I can definitely see us being the same crew. Um, well, we would we would have played. You know, we would have gone down to the basement, and played drums together, man. So yeah, oh, that. hey, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. I, I have a feeling you were a lot better than me. I was more of a uh, you know keep me in the background and just let me keep the beat and I'll be fine. You know, kind yeah, of. Yeah, I, I wasn't great, but. I, I had my I had my moments. Um, <laughs> I will tell you about the great, uh, not now, but one of these days. Ask me about the uh, great symbol incident of 1987. Um, uh, <laughs> it, it, it was it was a bad day for nipples. Let's just say it that way. Um, so with that say, being said, Kevin, you know you have outlined a lot of things to just basically emphatically say, don't sweat this transition. The Steelers got this. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that they're, as far as their plan goes and, and, the, and the execution of that plan, for sure. The thing, of course, that makes you nervous is the AFC is loaded, absolutely loaded uh, as we look at next year. So, so they, they've got to be able to execute this plan uh, almost flawlessly for them to, uh, you know, to make the playoffs and, and kind of keep, you know, keep this thing moving in, in a good direction. But even if they don't, even if they have a down year, they're incredibly young on offense, and the moves they've made this year is going to allow them to build back with, uh, w- without you know jeopardizing uh, the future, and that's that's very exciting. I think you know we just, we the big question, of course, is the quarterback. Who's he going to be going forward? We're all I think we're all excited to watch Trubisky. I, I think we we all question whether he's the franchise guy, but uh, you know while we go while we await the answer to that question, the Steelers have done a really nice job of, of rebuilding the team. Well, definitely. And they put themselves in position where they are not putting all their eggs in Mitch Trubisky's basket. If uh, they have given him a contract 
where if this doesn't work out, they're okay. They're because there's a grand plan here, but I have a feeling that he's going to be more than okay. And I think, uh, I think we're going to be loving mighty Mitch, but that's just my opinion and my excitement right now. So Kevin, thanks so much. It was a great conversation. I really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Went fast. Yeah, it really did. For Kevin Smith, my name is Brian Anthony Davis. We ask you to do three things. Be safe, be true to yourself, and always be behind the steel curtain. Hey, let me throw in one more. Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the hypocycloids. Hypocycloids.